Chapter Twenty Eight of the Golden Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson. Chapter Twenty Eight. In the name of the All Merciful and Pitiful, we seek refuge with the Lord of the Day against the sinfulness of beings created by Him, against all evil, and against the night, lest they overcome us suddenly. It was the prayer of the dawn, El Fajur, and Victoria heard it cried in the voices of the old men of the Ismala early in the morning as she dressed to continue her journey. Everyone was astir in the Tante Sultane, behind the different curtain partitions, and outside were the noises of the Dwar, waking to a new day. The girl could not wait for the coffee that Fafan would bring her, for she was eager to see the caravan that Si Maeddine was assembling. As soon as she was ready, she stole out into the dim dawn, more mystic in the desert than moonrise or moonsetting. The air was crisp and tingling, and smelled of wild thyme, the herb that nomad women love, and wear crushed in their bosoms, or thrust up their nostrils. The camels had not come yet, for the men of the Dwar had not finished their prayer. In the wide open space where they had watched the dance last night, now they were praying, sons of ishmael a crowd of prostrate white figures their faces against the sand victoria stood waiting by the big tent but she had not much need for patience soon the desert prayer was over and the smala was buzzing with excitement as it had buzzed when the travellers arrived the Sudanese negroes who had danced the wild dance appeared leading two white maharis running camels, aristocrats of the camel world. On the back of each rose a cage-like bassour, draped with halloues, striped rose-colored and purple. The desert beast moved delicately, on legs longer and more slender than those of packed camels, their necks swaying like the necks of swans who swim with the tide. Victoria thought them like magnificent four-legged cousins of ostriches, and the superciliousness of their expressions amused her. They looked like they had of elderly ladies, dissatisfied with everyone but themselves, and conscious of being supremely well-connected. A camel cannot see its own hump, but it can see those of others, she had heard Mabarka say. As Victoria stood alone in the dawn, laughing at the ghostly Maharis, and looking with interest at the heavily laden pack camel, and the mule piled up with tents and mattresses, Maeddine came riding round from behind the great tent, all in white, on a white stallion. Seeing the girl, he tested her courage, and made a bid for her admiration, by reining El Biod in suddenly, making him stand erect on his hind feet, pawing the air and dancing. But Rumia, as she was, and unaccustomed to such manoeuvres, she neither ran back nor screamed. 
she was not ashamed to show her admiration of man and horse and maeddine did not know that her thoughts were more of el biod the white drinker of air the saddle of crimson velvet and taliflet leather embroidered in gold and the bridle from figued encrusted with silver than of the rider this is the horse of whom i told thee maeddine said letting el biod come down again on all four feet he was blessed as a foal by having the magical words basim allah whispered over him as he drew the first draught of his mother's milk but thou wilt endow him with new gifts if thou touches his forehead with thy hand wilt thou do that for his sake and for mine victoria patted the flesh-coloured star on the stallion's white face not knowing that if a girl's fingers lie between the eyes of an arab's horse it is as much as to say that she is ready to ride with him to the world's end but maeddine knew and the thought warmed his blood he was superstitious like all arabs and he had wanted a sign of success now he had it he longed to kiss the little fingers as they rested on el biod's forehead but he said to himself patience it will not be long before i kiss her lips el biod is my citadel he smiled to her thou knowest we have the same word for horse and citadel in arabic and that is because a brave stallion is a warrior's citadel built on the wind a rampart between him and the enemy and we think the angels gave a horse the same heart as a man that he might be our friend as well as servant and carry us on his back to paradise whether that is true or not to-day el biod and i are already on the threshold of paradise because we are thy guides thy guardians through the desert which we love as he made this speech maeddine watched the girl's face anxiously to see whether she would resent the implication but she only smiled in her frank way knowing the arab language to be largely the language of compliment and he was encouraged perhaps he had been over-cautious with her he thought for after all he had no reason to believe that she cared for any man and as he had a record of great success with women why be so timid with an unsophisticated girl each day he told himself he would take another and longer step forward but for the moment he must be content he began to talk about the maharis and the negroes who would go with them and the beasts of burden when it was time for victoria and mabarka to be helped into their basuras maeddine would not let the sudanese touch the maharis it was he who made the animals kneel pulling gently on the bridle attached to a ring in the left nostril of each and both subsided gracefully in haughty silence instead of uttering the hideous gobbling which common camels made when they get down and get up or when they are loaded and unloaded these beasts gelbi and mansur had been bought from moors across the border where oran and morocco run together and had been trained since babyhood by smugglers for smuggling purposes if a man would have a silent camel said maeddine he must get him from smugglers 
For the best of reasons, their animals are taught never to make a noise. Mabarka was to have a fan in the same bassour, but Victoria would have her rose and purple cage to herself. Maeddine told her how, as the camel rose, she must first bow forward, then bend back, and obeying carefully, she laughed like a child as the tall Meharry straightened the knees of his forelegs, bearing his weight upon them as if on his feet, then got to his hind feet, while his front knees, as she called them, were still on the ground, and at last all swung himself on to all four of his heart-shaped feet. Oh, how high in the air she felt when Jelby was up, ready to start. She had had no idea that he was such a tall, moving tower under the bassour. What a skyscraping camel, she exclaimed, and then had to explain to Maeddine what she meant, for though he knew Paris, for him America might as well have been on another planet. He rode beside Victoria's Mahari, when goodbyes had been said, blessings exchanged, and the little caravan had started, looking out between the hallowists which protected her from the sun and wind. The handsome Arab on his Arab horse seemed far below her, as Romeo must have seemed to Juliet on her balcony, and to him the fair face, framed with dazzling hair, was like a guiding star. Thou canst rest in thy basur, he asked. The motion of thy beast gives thee no discomfort? No, truly it is a cradle, she answered. I had read that to ride on a camel was misery, but this is like being rocked on the bough of a tree when the wind blows. To sit in a bassour is very different from riding on a saddle, or even on a mattress, as the poor Bedouin women sometimes ride, or the dancers journeying from one place to another. I would not let thee travel with me unless I had been able to offer thee all the luxuries which a sultana might command. With nothing less would I have been content, because to me thou art a queen." at least thou hast given me a beautiful moving throne laughed victoria and because thou art taking me on it to my sister i'm happy to-day as a queen then if thou art happy i also am happy he said and when an arab is happy his lips would sing the song that is in his heart wilt thou be angry or pleased if i sing thee a love song of the desert I cannot be angry, because the song will not really be for me, Victoria answered, with the simplicity which had often disarmed and disconcerted Maeddine. And I shall be pleased, because in the desert it is good to hear desert songs. This was not exactly the answer which he had wanted, but he made the best of it, telling himself that he had not much longer to wait. Leaders of camels sing, he said, to make the beast's burden weigh less heavily. But thy Mahari has no burden. Thou in thy bassour art lighter on his back than the feather on the wing of a dove. My song is for my own heart, and for thine heart, if thou wilt have it, not for Jelby, though the meaning of Jelby is the heart of mine. Then Maeddine sang as he rode, his bridle lying loose, an old arab song wild and very sad as all arab music sounds even when it is the cry of joy 
truly though i were to die it would be not if i were near my love for whom my bosom aches for whom my heart is beating yes i am to die but death is nothing o ye who pass and see me dying for i have kissed the eyes the mouth that i desired but that is a sad song said victoria when maeddine ceased his tragic chant after many verses thou wouldst not say so if thou hast ever loved nothing is sad to a lover except to lose his love or not to have his love returned but an arab girl has no chance to love victoria argued her father gives her to a man when she is a child and they have never even spoken to each other until after the wedding we of the younger generation do not like these child marriages maeddine apologized eagerly and in any case an arab man unless he be useless as a mule without an eye knows how to make a girl love him in spite of herself we are not like the men of europe bound down by a thousand conventions besides we sometimes fall in love with women not of our own race these we teach to love us before marriage victoria laughed again for she felt light-hearted in the beautiful morning do arab men always succeed as teachers what is written is written he answered slowly yet it is written that a strong man carves his own fate and for thyself wouldst thou know what awaits thee in the future i trust in god and my star thou wouldst not then that the desert speak to thee with its tongue of sand out of the wisdom of all ages what dost thou mean i mean that my cousin Layla mabarka can divine the future from the sands of the sahara which gave her life and life to her ancestors for a thousand years before her it is a gift wilt thou that she exercise it for thee to-night when we camp there is hardly any real sand in this part of the desert said victoria seeking some excuse not to hear mabarka's prophecies yet not to hurt mabarka's feelings or maeddine's it is all far away where we see the hills which look golden as ripe grain and we cannot reach those hills by evening my cousin always carries the sand for her divining every night she reads in the sand what will happen to her on the morrow just as the women of europe tell their faith by the cards it is the sand from the dunes round to gort and mingled with it is a little from mecca which was brought to her by a holy man a marabout it would give her pleasure to read the sand for thee then i will ask her to do it victoria promised as the day grew its first brightness faded a wind blew up from the south and slowly darkened the sky with a strange lilac haze which seemed tangible as thin silk gauze behind it the sun glimmered like a great silver plate and the desert turned pale as in moonlight although the ground was hard under the camel's feet the wind carried with it from faraway spaces a fine powder of sand which at last forced victoria to let down the hallowis and maeddine and the two negroes to cover their faces with the veils of their turbans 
up to the eyes. It will rain this afternoon, Mabarka prophesied from between her curtains. No, Maeddine contradicted her. There has been rain this month, and thou knowest better than I do that beyond El Aguat it rains but once in five years. Else, why do the men of Megzab country break their hearts to dig deep wells? There will be no rain. It is but a sandstorm we have to fear. Yet I feel in the roots of my hair and behind my eyes that the rain is coming. Maeddine shrugged his shoulders, for an Arab does not twice contradict a woman, unless she be his wife. But the lilac haze became a pall of crepe, and the moon meal was hurried. Maeddine saved some of the surprises he had brought for a more favorable time. Hardly had they started on again when the rain began to fall, spreading over the desert in a quivering silver net whose threads broke and were constantly mended again. Then the rough road, to which the little caravan did not keep, and all the many diverging tracks became wide silver ribbons, lacing the plains broken with green dayas. A few minutes more, incredibly few, it seemed to Victoria, and the dayas were deep lakes, where the water swirled and bubbled round the trunks of young pistachio trees. A torrent poured from the morning sky, and there was wild sound of marching water, which Victoria could hear under the hallowus which sheltered her. No water came through them, for the arching form of the bassour was like the roof of a tent, and the rain poured down on either side. She peeped out, enjoying her own comfort, while pitying Maeddine and the negroes. But all three had covered their thin burnouses with immensely thick, white, hooded cloaks, woven of sheep's wool, and they had no air of depression. By and by they came to an oed, which should have been a dry, stony bed without a trickle of water. But half an hour's downpour had created a river, as if by black magic, and Victoria could guess the force at which it was rushing, by the stout resistance she felt Jelby had to make, as he waded through. A little more, and we could not have crossed, said Maeddine, when they had mounted up safely on the other side of the Oed. Art thou not very wet and miserable? the girl asked sympathetically. I, miserable? he echoed. I, who am privileged to feast upon the deglet noir in my desert? Victoria did not understand his metaphor, for the deglet noir is the finest of all dates, translucent as amber, sweet as honey, and so dear that only rich men or great marabouts ever taste it. The deglet noir, she repeated, puzzled. Dost thou not know that saying that the smile of a beautiful maiden is the deglet noir of paradise, and nourishes a man's soul, so that he can bear any discomfort without being conscious that he suffers? I did not know that Arab men set women so high, said Victoria, surprised. For now the rain had stopped, suddenly as it began and she could look out again from between the curtains. Soon they would be dry in the hot sun. Thou hast much to learn, then, about Arab men, Maeddine answered, and fortunate is thy teacher. 
it is little to say that we would sacrifice our lives for the women we love because for us life is not that great treasure it is to the rumiyas who cling to it desperately we would do far more than give our lives for the beloved woman we arabs we would give our heads which is the greatest sacrifice a man of islam could make but is that not the same thing as giving life it is a thousandfold more it is giving up the joy of eternity for we are taught to believe that if a man's head is severed from his body it alone goes to paradise his soul is maimed it is but a bodiless head and all celestial joys are forever denied to it how horrible the girl exclaimed dost thou really believe such a thing he feared that he had made a mistake and that she would look upon him as an alien a pagan with whom she could have no sympathy if i am more modern in my ideas than my forefathers he said tactfully i must not confess it to a must i o rose of the west for that would be disloyal to islam yet if i did believe still i would give my head for the love of one woman the star of my destiny she whose sweet looks deserve the word ayan should stand for bright fountain and for the ineffable light in a virgin's eyes i did not know until to-day si maeddine that thou wert a poet victoria told him all true arabs are poets our language the literary not the common arabic is the language of poets as thou must have read in thy books but i have now such inspirations as perhaps no man ever had and thou wilt learn other things about me while we journey together in the desert as he said this he looked at her with a look which even her simplicity could not have mistaken if she had thought of it but instantly the vision of sadie came between her eyes and his the current of her ideas was abruptly changed how many days now she asked suddenly will the journey last his face fell art thou tired already of this new way of travelling that thou askest me a question thou hast not asked once since we started oh no no she reassured him i love it i'm not tired at all but i did not question thee at first because thou didst not desire me to know thy plans while i was still within touch of europeans thou didst not put this reason in such words for thou wouldst not have let me feel i had not thy full trust but it was natural thou shouldst not give it when thou hast so little acquaintance with me and i did not complain now it is different even if i wished i could neither speak nor write to any one i ever knew therefore i question thee art thou impatient for the end he wanted to know jealously not impatient i am happy yet i should like to count the days and say each night so many more times must the sun rise and set before i see my sister many suns must rise and set maeddine confessed doggedly but when first thou planned the journey thou saidst in a fortnight thou canst send thy friends news i hope if i had told thee then that it must be longer wouldst thou have come with me i think not 
for thou sayest i did not wholly trust thee how much less didst thou trust me completely or i would not have put myself in thy charge perhaps thou art convinced of that now when thou knowest me and leila mabarka and thou hast slept in the tent of my father and in the houses of my friends but i saw in thine eyes at that time a doubt thou didst not wish to let thyself feel because through me alone was there a way to reach thy sister i wish to bring thee to her for thy sake and for her sake though i have never looked upon her face and never shall why dost thou say never shall the girl broke in upon him suddenly the blood mounted to his face he had made a second mistake and she was very quick to catch him up it was but a figure of speech he corrected himself thou dost not mean that she's shut up and no man allowed to see her i know nothing thou wilt find out all for thyself but thou wert anxious to go to her at no matter what cost and i feared to dishearten thee to break thy courage while i was still a stranger and could not justify myself in thine eyes now wilt thou forgive me an evasion which was to save thee anxiety if i say frankly that travel as we may we cannot reach our journey's end for many days yet i must forgive thee said victoria with a sigh yet i do not like evasions they are unworthy i am sorry maeddine returned so humbly that he disarmed her it would be terrible to offend thee there can be no question of offence she consoled him i am very very grateful for all thou hast done for me i often lie awake in the night wondering how i can repay thee everything when we come to the end of the journey i will tell thee of a thing thou canst do for my happiness maeddine said in a low voice as if half to himself wilt thou tell me now to what place we are going i should like to know and i should like to hear thee describe it he did not speak for a moment then he said slowly it is a grief to deny thee anything o rose but the secret is not mine to tell even to thee the secret she echoed thou hast never called it a secret if i did not use that word did i not give thee to understand the same thing thou meanest the secret about cassim my sister's husband cassim ben halim has ceased to live victoria gave a little cry dead but thou hast made me believe in spite of the rumours that he lived i cannot explain to thee maeddine answered gloomily as if hating to refuse her anything in the end thou wilt know all and why i had to be silent but my sister the girl pleaded there is no mystery about her thou hast concealed nothing which concerns sadie thou hast my word that i will take thee to the place where she is thou gavest me thy trust give it to me again i have not taken it away it is thine said victoria End of chapter twenty eight